Welcome to episode two of season 12 of the Growing Empire Show. Today I'm here with my special guest, Andrew Schutzke from Redline Equity, and we're going to talk about how to use syndicated deals as a method to grow your passive investment portfolio. So stay tuned. Welcome to Growing Empires, hosted by real estate entrepreneur and trusted investment advisor, Jennifer DeJesus. Growing Empires provides insight to building wealth through passive income-producing real estate investments for those who want to build and manage a more profitable real estate portfolio. So welcome, Andrew, to the Growing Empire show. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks so much for having me. Number one, I love the name of the show, so kudos to that as well. Oh, thanks so much. Let's kick off this episode with you sharing a little bit about the work that you're doing now with Redline Equity. Yeah, yeah. So a few years back, you know, I, I guess I should back up a f- more than a few years. So about 14 years ago, I started becoming more and more interested in real estate investing. Started with a house hack actually back in 2007. Nobody really called it that at that point. It was just, hey, I had some extra room <laughs> in my home. I was traveling about 50 weeks uh, out of the year. So I was really never there. I was wasting space in my house. I said, well, let me put out an ad on Craigslist. And my wife or my girlfriend at the time, my maybe fiance, I don't remember, was like, that's kind of creepy. That's that's very strange. Why would you do that? Because it wasn't, it wasn't really common at that point. But long story short, I found a good match with a gentleman who was in town during the week and out of town during the weekend. So we were kind of reverse schedules. From there, it escalated quickly, right? I got, I got my interest in, uh, you know, how I could start building, you know, that building an empire, right? Building one one brick at a time on the single family side. And at that point, thought I would just do that piece by piece. Uh, you know, fast forward about five, six years later, got into the short term rental space here at the Jersey Shore. Had a lot of right. fun, still having fun with that piece, uh, but it really wasn't getting me where I thought I'd be, you know, at, at that point in my career around real estate investing. So, Fast forward to 2020, my wife and I are on vacation in Fort Myers, Florida, and I stumbled across this thread on Bigger Pockets. Many listening may have heard of that site. It's a small, sure. a small name in the game, where uh, a local <laughs> quote unquote multifamily commercial real estate syndicator uh, had successfully raised money and closed several deals. I'm like, wow, it was a 62, 63 page thread. I read through that thing nonstop, much to my wife's dismay during our vacation. I was hooked. <laughs> and from there, you know, I read every book I could get my hands on, listened to dozens of podcasts, joined a mastermind group, and then ultimately, you know, got into, you know, three different syndications as a journal partner and a couple different as a limited partner. And from there, it's, uh, you know, as they say, the story was built. Right. Got it. Well, I'm very excited to talk to you today. Great. We're going to talk a little bit about acquisition. We're going to talk about improvements, sure. management process for large scale apartment buildings, like, you know, how you get there through with syndication deals and stuff like that. And, you know, I've asked Andrew to join me to share his wealth of knowledge that he's gained throughout his 14 plus, plus, plus years <laughs> in real estate <laughs> and is a commercial experience. So we're going to sure. jump right in with the first question. So can you first explain to our listeners uh, you mentioned syndication. Can you yeah. explain just very briefly what a syndication actually is? So I should probably, you know, admit for most people, it sounds like such a overpowering, you know, word of like, wow, that's really confusing. And it's really simple. If you break it down, uh, what syndication really is is a number of like-minded investors pulling their money together to buy a much larger asset than they could afford to buy on their own or wanted to buy on their own. So in essence, it opens a lot of doors that wouldn't be open to individual investors. Okay, fair enough. So give me some of the pros and cons of syndicating, you know, deals or being involved in syndications versus just owning them outright to your for yourself. 
Sure. Sure. I, I love talking about this because I'm a, at heart, I'm a DIY guy, right? I love to get my hands into a project, right. you know, tear down walls, do kitchen, bathroom renovations. And ultimately, if you got all the time in the world and you want to you build your empire brick by brick, you can very much explore the single family route. So again, very time consuming as you start to, as like I've, I've experienced the past uh, and many others. I had a guy on my show yesterday talking about building his ninth and 10th deal as a single family investor, it becomes very time consuming. And another, you know, kind of drawback of, of building the single family deal by deal is even if you have a property manager, they're still relying on you to be the primary decision maker. So you're still calling, you're still have, you're still on the hook for the, you know, that's whatever your threshold is, $500, $1,000 decisions. That becomes very, very intensive over the course of time versus the multifamily commercial syndication space. On the if you start and get your foot in the door like I did as a passive investor, you're literally just vetting a deal, you know, getting in with it with a with a sponsorship team, and providing capital. And you really just get down to a point where you get monthly updates of what's going on. You get quarterly distributions or monthly distributions from cash flow of the property, and it's literally just mailbox money, which is fantastic. And it's I can't think of a better way for a busy working professional like myself, yourself to get their foot in the door. And you may find that I really love doing this. I want to play an active role as a partner. That's fantastic. But what a, what a great way to get your foot in the door of becoming a passive investor. It's literally very, very minimal time commitment. It's just really a capital infusion upfront. So when you invest in your syndications, are you strictly doing multifamily or are you doing other types of commercial deals as well? I am actually, I am stay, I, I'm a big believer in kind of focus is key. So yeah, of course, uh, it's easy to get your, your attention drawn into things like self-storage, which is you know very attractive, car washes and things like that. Yeah. But I'm a big believer in single point of focus, really master that for a few years and then start to expand into adjacent spaces like the things I just mentioned, like self-storage. But I'm a big believer in focus is key and I, I really like the multifamily asset class. So what would you say to the people that say, you know, as a passive investor in a syndication, I, I have an issue with the lack of control, right? You know, cause that's, that's a real thing. It is. And there's, a, we'll get into it. We didn't talk much about the cons. You got to be open about that with your investors. You know, one is yes, you're trusting the team to make the decisions on your behalf. But I also see that as a pro. I don't want to be bogged down. If I'm, I'm a busy professional, I want to trust the team with making those decisions. So I don't have to be bogged down by doing that. So it's, for me, it's as much of a pro as it is a con. I will say a way to overcome that risk is to make sure that you do thoroughly vet and ask the right questions of your sponsorship team to make sure you're investing with the right people. Because once that trust is established, it's not even on your mind anymore. So as long as you're doing your, the proper due diligence and knowing the right questions to ask, by the way, we've got a great blog on our site with 101 questions to ask for the detail oriented on our site. We'll come to that later. Uh, if you're wondering, what do I ask? And I've got some book recommendations for listeners too. So as long as you're vetting the right places, you're asking the right questions, you're good. And I, again, I see that as more, just as much of a pro as it is a con for some people. Oh, fantastic. That's, that's actually great. I'll definitely grab that information then from you. Cool. So would you recommend somebody starting with a syndication if they have maybe some limited funds to invest and don't really, they're not quite comfortable with what direction to go? Would you say syndication is definitely the way you'd recommend for your first investment opportunity? Look, there's no one size fits all for everybody. So I always start with education. Like I have people coming to me all the time, all the weeks, coworkers, friends, you know, neighbors, family members with saying, Hey, is this, is this the right for me? I'm like, only you can make that decision. But what my job is to educate you on the pros and cons the do's and don'ts 
And some people, you know, may want to be very, they have 20, 30 hours a week to devote and they want to build, they want to be really hands-on. Maybe it's not the right path for you. But what I'm trying to appeal to, and just like my own profile is people that have you know, they're working a full-time job, have cash they want to invest. They want to get out of the volatility of the stock market. They want to diversify in terms of not being uh, so tax heavy at the end of the year. That's who we're really tailored to. So there's no one size fits all, but I think you owe it to yourself or to your listeners to explore as an opportunity. It's not, it's definitely not the only option. It's a great option, but it's certainly not the only option for, for those listening. Okay. So how do you get started investing in a syndication and how, how quickly do you think somebody can anticipate scaling? Absolutely. So you, I'm assuming you're referring to as a passive investor. As a passive investor. Yes. Yeah. So I mentioned education. That's got to be number one. And number two is you've got to find a team to invest with, right? And they don't typically come and fall into your lap just by mere advertising on you know Facebook or LinkedIn. So networking is a huge component, um, either attending a, a local alternative investing event or uh, you know some, a, a real estate focused event in your area is a great way to meet people. Online investing communities, uh, Facebook groups, Groups or LinkedIn groups are a great way. Uh, finding and looking for newsletters around commercial real estate and investing is another way. There's so many different options, but networking and finding your way to the right team that you trust is, is a great first step. Okay. And how much money would you suggest somebody needs to have set aside to do their first syndication deal, to do, to do their first investment? That's a great question. It's it's usually the one of the first things I'm asked because people don't know like, hey, does this require millions of dollars? Is it <laughs> somewhere in the middle? And I think people see you know things like crowdsourcing out there, which causes some confusion. I'd say, on average, you know, it really depends on the size of the deal on the operator and how much money they're raising and things like that. But I'd say on average, you know, twenty five fifty thousand is about the the minimum entry point. And upwards of you know a million to three million, depending on the size of the deal. Some people may be rolling over. We have investors that take you know ten thirty one exchanges from either businesses or single family homes that in this market they've capitalized in on and want to roll it in. That's a conversation you definitely want to have with, with your sponsor teams, uh, whoever you're vetting. Okay, that was going to actually be one of my next questions. So you can ten thirty one exchange into one of these syndication deals. Absolutely. And I will say the rules by each team will vary very much uh, from deal to deal. So for sure, you want to have that conversation one-on-one. You don't want to just rely on a generic web form. Definitely have that conversation because it requires some tight coordination with the team, some careful planning, especially if you're infusing a larger amount of capital. Uh, you want to make sure we have that spot reserved for you and we have all the logistics worked out. But yeah, it's been done, will continue to be done, and it's a great way to defer taxes. Now, I'm assuming that all deals are very different in their size and shape and how they function, but is there a general rule of thumb for the amount of time that somebody should expect their capital to be tied up in the syndication deal? Yeah. One thing to look for is that the, the sponsoring team should be very clear about what their business plan is going to be, what, what the assumptions are behind that, whether it be an interest rates and exit rate cap and things like that. I'd say for our deals, generally, we're looking to exit in about three to five years, some of which we've done recently or much sooner than that. And, you know, depending on where the economy and demand goes, it, it could be longer than that. So on average, we've been ahead of our projections, but that doesn't guarantee anything in the future. But I'd say in general, a lot of the if you're looking at a value add property and not a long term hold, uh, it's going to generally be in the three to five year time frame. There's no hard and fast one, but that's that's what we've seen in the past. So after that three to five year time frame, I assume that the asset is then sold? 
Yeah. So we have a couple of options. The most common and preferred option is we sell it. But if, if the market allows and interest rates are, are the right, in the right place, a refi is a great option to cash out and return everybody's capital, but still keep uh, equity in the property and still keep those distributions coming. That's actually the best case scenario is we can return everybody's money and still generate cash. That's that's our best option. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about, you were touching on the subject about your your questions, right? For mm-hmm. finding the best type of syndication yeah. deal for each investor. Tell me tell me a little bit about that and then, um, you know, about your books and stuff like that that you were referring to. Because I think sure. I agree with sure. you. Education is really key. It really is. And it's never, the question should never be like, should I invest? Your first question should be, should I invest in a, deal A or B? It should be, is, you know, is this the right asset investment type for me? And then you get into the types of the sponsor team, which I believe is the most important piece of, of a deal, right? What is their, what is our tracker? And just, I'll give you some of the highlights. So we have an article out there. It's that goes into a lot more depth, but I look at, you know, what is our track record? Have they gone full cycle on a deal? Have they closed successfully? How they handled, yeah, and don't get me wrong, every project has some kind of hurdle you're overcoming. <laughs> if people are being transparent, they're telling you everything went perfectly. So, hey, yeah. tell me about a time when it didn't go perfectly. Tell me about when you were, you were delayed on renovations or you had to deal with evictions. And how did you guys overcome that? Like, tell me about your obstacles. And are they open and upfront about that? Right. Um, you know, what are you, you know, what are the assumptions behind some of your business plan? Right. There's, there's a couple of big levers that syndicators and operators will use to, I'll call it juice up returns. Right. One of which is playing your rent growth projections are a major factor in your assumptions behind my projected growth and my my IRR and my a- average returns, right? So having a, a, pro- a property manager vet those as they go into a deal is very, very important to us. We, you know, we trust our, our instincts first, but that's only the start. Vetting it with a property manager, getting you know very, very tight comp, secret shopping properties. That's the kind of due diligence we're doing behind those rent assumptions. Mm-hmm. Another one is exit cap rate, right? That's a, as a, for those who aren't in the know, and we've got plenty of articles behind this as well, is a measure of the demand for a type of property when you expect to exit it. You know, how much is somebody willing to pay for a dollar of income in three to five years? You're making some assumptions there. Some are much more aggressive than others. We try to take the conservative approach whenever possible. And act, in fact, in every case, that makes sense for us and for our investors. So there are a couple of levers and there's a lot of other factors that go into it, but there are a couple that they're just kind of a preview into that blog I mentioned before. Okay, great. The episode will continue in just a moment. As an investor, we know it's important to stay on top of market trends and real estate opportunities that add value to your portfolio. We also know that having a trusted source of reliable information to help you stay a step ahead of other investors is critical to your success. If you're interested in having these types of resources, as well as access to me and my team, I invite you to join the Empire Investment Club, a free service that gives you an easier way to make sense of today's and tomorrow's real estate opportunities. As a member of the Empire Investment Club, you'll get access to relevant resources and investment-focused experiences such as live interactive webinars, market trend presentations, and investor socials designed to equip you with what you need to succeed. So whether you're an active investor, passive investor, a combination of both, or just starting out, the club is where you'll get what you need to build a portfolio you love. To join, just head over to jenniferdejesus.com, sign up, and we'll see you in the club where everyone's on a journey to becoming a better investor. So tell me about the actual deals that you're syndicating. Where are they located, first of all? 
Awesome. So we, I really like the Southeast in general. We've, we've started to diversify from there, but we're in Georgia and South Carolina and Louisville, Kentucky currently really looking to, to, to expand into the Southeast even more. So North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, continuing to build in Georgia and even the Midwest, but trying to really focus right now on the Southeast. And we range from 43 units to 270 units, and we're just getting under contract now, a uh, new offering coming out about 300 unit portfolio in the, in the Carolinas area. Nice. And are you doing any kind of ground up construction or is it typically like redevelopment or uh, value add place? Right. Currently, it's all value add. Again, I mentioned the focus piece. Uh, we're really drilling down that. But one area that's really caught my attention, our team's attention is the build around space. So that that would be the, the, the next foray into development would be, you know, building a series of townhomes and single family homes in a community uh, that we build with the intention of renting them and holding them for, I'd say, a two to three year time frame. It's very similar to a value add in, in, in terms of the business plan. Um, just there's a lot, there's a lot more actually opportunity there. It's just not as known as of an entity as value add. So it's the one area that we're exploring to start to educate our investors on. And then we will, you know, in the next couple of years, I expect lock up a few properties and deals in the, in the builder own space. Okay. So tell me about these value add plays. What are we, what are we specifically doing to add value? Is it just rent increases? Is it a lot of distressed properties where you're putting a lot of capital into the property to renovate it? A combination of both? Yeah, it, 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 it can vary, right? So we've got you know an asset uh, in, in South Carolina in Greenville that we purchased. It was a newer asset, 2006 build. And that one was a fairly light lift, I'll say. It was more just landscape cleanup, some interior renovations, uh, repositioning the property, you know, signage, branding of it. And that resulted in $250 increase. Some of that was the economy. Some of it was the work we put in. We've got a property in Georgia, which is a heavier lift. You know, we all full of roof replacements, full landscaping, interior, exterior, parking lots, gating, signage. That was a much heavier lift, but in resulting has much heavier rent increases associated with as well. So I won't deter- I won't discriminate from, you know, a light lift to a heavier value add. We've got experience across the board and there's equal opportunity, sometimes more risk if you're assuming a higher rent projection with a heavier lift. But generally, you know, you plan accordingly, you plan with the right amount of capex, you hedge for inflation and material costs and you're good to go. But uh, yeah, it can be across the board to answer your question. It can be a, you know, a newer B-class asset we mentioned where it could just be, you know, repositioning the property for a different type of tenant, cleaning it up a bit, hiring a new property manager all the way to, Hey, we're, re- you know, we're kind of going guts, uh, guts in rehab and taking down walls and things like that. So it can vary. So what are your biggest challenges today in, in the economic state of the union today? with acquiring the properties or even creating that value add? So, yeah, I guess I'll talk first about the acquisitions piece. Um, you would think, you know, we're, we're in late June 2022 right now. The economy is quite volatile. Specifically, uh, we're seeing a pretty big gap in you know, expectations and, and selling prices versus what people are willing to pay considering the cost of capital right now. So interest rates, as you guys listening known, have grown substantially. Um, and a lot of syndicators will leverage what we call bridge debt or a variable rate uh, type of type of product. Um, so with that comes wild fluctuations in interest rates, which can make your projections a little more challenging to, to capture, right? So we're seeing still very, very heavy demand for multifamily properties. So there's still a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. We are seeing some softening of prices right now and, and maybe softening expectations, but still very competitive. In fact, we're, we just put an offer in on properties. We're still seeing 14, 15, 20 bids in a secondary market in the US. So there's still, I think, with wow. a lot of the volatility in the economy, still a very, very strong demand. 
However, you just got to be a little more discriminatory in what you're projecting and your expectations and, and buying those rate caps or if you're doing a bridge rate product. Or in our case, we really like fixed rate debt. Even if it is lower cash flow, it does secure that sense of, you know, secureness, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term for our investors. On the operation side, uh, the two biggest challenges are labor availability and material costs. You know, no shock right. to those listening, but again, I think we need to be ultra conservative and maybe, you know, overly uh, aggressive in material costs and in, in going up in price. And just getting late, you know, labor availability and time, especially in secondary and tertiary markets, we might have to go 30, 40 miles to find a good contractor. And for example, the way we're underwriting that in is maybe we'd normally assume 12 to 18 months to, to turn 80% of the units. I might now put in 24 months and add 25 to 50% to the material costs and labor costs to turn those interior units or exterior, whatever it may be. So again, we have, we, we, we adjust accordingly. Usually we might be overly conservative, but I'd rather be that way. I'd rather under promise over deliver. Right. And how are you trying to minimize the, the challenges of the syndications with the current state? Like, what are you doing to deal with the labor shortages and the material costs? Is there anything unique to the times now than maybe in the past that you're doing differently? One thing we do in the last, I'd say, three to four months, we're going through due diligence and as I mentioned right now, is I will get, uh, we will get hard and fast two or three quotes and we'll go a little bit deeper and during the due diligence phase and once as soon as we lock it up we'll get people in there in the past you might get a, a rough figure for you know some of the bigger items now we're getting quotes for everything early in the project and sooner and, and just getting them to lock in for yeah you know, they say 30 to 60 days with the expectation they would win the business right so we're doing that a little bit earlier than we normally would which kind of locks in a price. We're still hedging on that, adding, you know, maybe 10, 20% to those figures, but we're doing that earlier in the process in DD than we would. Uh, so it's a lot more work <laughs> earlier on, but it's, it pays off with the risk uh, being, being mitigated. Okay. And when, when you're syndicating these deals, I assume that investors that are giving you capital for these syndications, I assume they know the deals that they're actually investing in up front. Right. We're syndicating specific deals yeah. or or is there ever a time when they're giving you capital, but they don't actually know what they're being invested in? So to date, we've done all deal by deal um, on a okay. deal by deal basis. Right. So yep. there's a lot of operators that will do a fund or a blind fund. Where we're saying, hey, here are the general types of assets I'm going after. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just I, I generally like maybe I'm a control freak. Knowing exactly if I'm placing fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars, I want to know who the team is, where the property is located, what the schools are like, what the condition right. of the property is in, what the occupancy is. I want to know variable by variable, and if if that's my standard, I want to make that sure it's the same or higher for my investors. So that's just my way of operating. It's not the only way. So how long has Redline Capital been around? So we started uh, operations in December 2019. Okay. Yep. Has there ever been a time when you could not return somebody's capital? Not yet, <laughs> but, but not, knock on wood. Again, there's a couple of assets that have not gone full cycle, but we're we're very we're well ahead of performance forma projections in both properties. Um, we've turned over most of the the units in both scenarios, so very optimistic for the future. But you never know what the future holds. So, yeah, are yep. you having any challenges actually finding the deals uh, like currently? Like, do you have more capital than you have deals right now, or is it you're still yeah. able to balance it? No, it, we're very much in the capital. We're pretty picky with properties too. A lot of our, our team members already have larger portfolios. So they're not in a rush to go buy anything by any means. I'd rather pass on 10 
okay deals to find one or even 50. So none of us, we're being very picky, uh, but we do have a lot of people. In fact, I got two email, emails this morning from like, hey, I haven't heard from you guys in a couple of weeks. Like I've got this capital to place, particularly with people who are getting nervous about the stock market. I'd pulled some cash out or have some 1031s from cashed in on some fairly large gains. There, there's a sense of urgency to go buy something. But again, we can't let we can't be forced into making the wrong decision. So definitely in a position where deals are harder to find than capital right now. So it's a it's a good place to be, but we just got to be very particular about, you know, be very scrutinizing all these things that come in. So Yeah. So you talked about a little bit about the investor vetting the team that they're investing with to make sure that they're making the right decision. Yeah. How do you find the right investor for your syndications? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. We actually have a, I think it's a 12 piece questionnaire that our investor relations team, which is largely me right now, will go through and, and make sure it's the right fit. Like for instance, if someone's saving for their kids college and they're expecting to go into tui- you know, starting tuition next year and we have a three to five year hold period. Right. Hey, look, this has to, this has to be a, a two way street, right? It has to be right for you. It has to be right for us. And if someone's going to be freaking out in eight months, they can't get their capital back. Like that's, this isn't the right fit, right? Because yeah, maybe we could exit. That'd be fantastic. We could, but you can't count on that. So it's just as much as us vetting the investors to make sure it's right for them. This this is something I want to be doing for 20, 30 years. So this is not just one deal at a time and trying to build again, back to the empire thing. This is a long-term play. And we're in this for, for the investors for decades, not just for the next three to five years for one deal. So it's got to be a two-way street. It's got to be right for them. It's got to be right for us. Right. They're long-term plays for retirement. They're not, they're not immediate needs of cash, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So tell me a little bit about other markets that you're currently researching that you're not currently invested in. Yeah. So uh, I have a good couple of connections with partners in the the Texas area. So specifically, Austin, San Antonio, DFW. I've got partners that are very active, sending us deals, very much as interested in those markets, but also very cautious of, you know, the, the prices are a bit higher. The demand is also a bit higher. What I look for there is the population's growing, jobs are growing, income's growing, uh, you know, debt still relatively very affordable across the country. So I, I really like that market. I like the whole Sunbelt area, actually. Uh, even parts of Kansas City, Missouri, we've we've got a lot of offers circulating in the last six months. In fact, over 100 million worth in that market alone. I've got some you know common connections and partners there. So again, I, I like the focus on multifamily, but you got to be, especially in times where things are very very competitive, you got to have boots on the ground in, in two or three or four different markets to to kind of remain relevant, really. Right. So tell me about how you're how you're sourcing these deals. Are are these like in these markets that you're in? Are they these like on market deals that the general consumer has access to? Or are they off market deals? How are you actually sourcing the deals right now? It's actually a mix of both. So broker relationships is where it started, and you yep. get so much deal flow for there. But I, what we found, we actually launched in early May a direct to seller campaign in the southeast. So we start with a list. We you know we have a team of VAs that works for us full time, and we're constantly sending out hundreds of of, of lead generations to direct to the seller each week. Okay. So it's a combination of both for us. I feel like that's the only way to roll these days. So. Yeah, you got to have all your irons in the fire for sure. It's Correct. not a one. It's Correct. definitely not a one-trick pony. That's right. So, how does how do you feel syndications turn better returns in in a real estate as a whole? What are what are the key factors that allow these returns to be so good for people? 
Yeah. So it really comes down to the business plan and executing on the business plan. So, you know, if you compare it, let's say to the stock market, historically, you're looking at, well, assuming the taking the recent volatility of the equation, long-term average seven to 8% S and P 500 or Dow index. Whereas we're looking at, you know, at minimum double digit returns, assuming everything is legitimate in the business plan, assuming all your assumptions check out, et cetera. But it really comes down to can is number one is, is the business plan, realistic, right? Like I talked about rent growth assumptions, talk about exit cap assumptions, talk about expense assumptions and, and what's going to happen there, especially in about, you know, recent times of inflationary uh, things going on with material costs and labor. But, and then can the, can the team execute on it? Do they have the discipline? Do they have the track record of proving out what they projected has come to fruition? So it really comes down to that. Okay. Are there additional tax advantages to doing syndications over just owning the assets outright yourself? So it's funny. Uh, one of the original frustrating things to me as a, a you know full time W two executive was the amount of taxes you get crushed with at the end of the year. And I was like, oh my god, there's got to be a better way. So <laughs> absolutely yes. So a couple of a couple of really key things there. One is paying capital gains versus ordinary income, much much lower percentage for most working professionals. Second is depreciation is a beautiful thing. <laughs> so yeah. at the end of the year, you, you know, a typical investor will take a couple of our examples in recent times we're paying quarterly distributions. At the end of the year, they're paying in years 1 and 2 very little to nothing on that on that source of income. So if you're looking to augment your job, ultimately replace you, your source of income or retire either early or on time, uh, it's a fantastic way from a tax standpoint uh, for the reasons I just mentioned. Okay, great. What didn't I ask you that I should have? So, I mean, I, I, again, we come back to the education thing. And I, I think you actually mentioned what are a couple of great recommendations. Um, yes. I, I'm mm -hmm. a big book guy. Everybody learns different ways. Um, I like, uh, there's a book called The Hands-Off Investor by Brian Burke. And it takes you from the mindset of uh of a past investor, but even if you're thinking about going on the active side, it runs you through all those questions we talked about asking. So hats off to Brian. He's done a great job with that book. I think that would, that's a, almost could be a textbook for, for those wanting to know what, what don't I know and where should I start? And second is we've got over 50 blogs on our site. We release new ones every week, release podcasts every other week, great sorts of education on our sites, investwithredline.com. Email me, you know, sort through the material. It's all free, no obligation. Just go there and get your hands dirty. Very good. So if I had to ask you, what is the number one thing you would tell people to absolutely not do ever in investing? Like it's, you're bound to fail. What would it be? Yeah. Don't jump into a deal or any type of offering without doing your due diligence. And I, probably more on the extreme end, but I'd say, you know, once you get the idea in your head, definitely take action, learn. But give yourself, you know, at least 30 days to make sure, hey, this is the right piece. This is the right investment for me. This is the right team for me. I also second, I second that as well. I would say <laughs> the same thing if Absolutely. I was asked the same question, but I would also say, don't take advice from people that are not already doing it. That's another fair point. You, you kind of make that assumption in your head that yeah. you know, people are doing that, but it's a very fair point to call that out because yeah. there's so many, you know, lots of people advertising out there is, hey, this is great. Check out syndication. But like, what have they done? What's in their track record? Are they partnering with the right people? Do they have the experience, et cetera? You get it. Very good. 
Well, I, Andrew, I can't thank you enough. I think you are an incredible wealth of knowledge. You've given our listeners a, an incredible amount of resources to look into. And I think, you know, as I said, education is really key. So again, I can't thank you enough. You're absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I hope our listeners will definitely reach out and learn a little bit more about Redline Equity. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on the show. It's really great to, to share my passion with everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Andrew Suski from Redline Equity. You can check out all his information on our show notes page. And until next time, take care. For more information about how Jennifer can help you plan, develop, and manage a strong real estate investment portfolio, visit growingempires.com.